Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to the one and only Erica von der Waal, and she very quickly became one of my most favourite people in the world. If this is the first time you're here, I wish you a very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, let me know your favourite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview, everywhere you will look. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Um, this is a new thing. Obviously, I'd really appreciate it. It would also mean the world to me, and Erica for that matter, if you share this episode far and wide. There is probably at least one person you'll think of. Actually, do you know what? There's probably loads of people you'll think of when listening to this who would benefit from also hearing it. So let them know. Now, on to the podcast. Question one for me is an introduction to you. And I've decided to do a little bit differently to what other podcasters may do. And how I want to do that differently is by you introducing yourself. And the reason for that is because I don't want to sort of read Twitter and other social feeds and, and get an impression of you and go, right, this is who Erica is. So the question is, you meet a stranger in a bar, cafe, pub, whatever, and they ask you what you do, who you are, what you're about. What are you most likely to say to them? Oh, God. I mean, they probably have seen me across the way, like probably heard me before they saw me. In any situation, I tend to be the loudest person in the room, whether that's like vocal levels or the way that I'm dressed. I tend to definitely wear, <laughs> I wear a lot of colour. There's, there's a fancy name for it now. They call it dopamine dressing. But I mean, I've always just worn a lot of colour because I think, no offence to you, but I think wearing grey and black and just those sorts of like neutrals are so dull and I feel like people get a sense of my personality when they see me and hear me which is you know saves a lot of time for a start so they'll, they'll have seen me or heard me before you know the introduction when they ask me what I, what I do I, I sort of just I tend to say that I work in digital marketing yeah. and leave it at that if they're a bit savvy and they sort of are in the industry or know a bit about digital then I sort of tend to say that I specialize in digital PR which is essentially trying to get brands in like the media and online media through like creative storytelling and data-led stories basically and that will either send them to sleep because I don't really care or they'll, they'll be like oh so you're a journalist and then that sort of starts a whole nother conversation um so I mean my mum still thinks I work for Google, which is funny. Um, I've tried explaining to her many times what it is I do. Um, that's just the uh, that's, that's just the a classic a, boomer um, response, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I think my parents thought the same thing <laughs> yeah. for a long time. She hears uh, search engine and thinks, "Oh, you you work at Google? Fantastic." Um, yeah. And every time every time you get a promotion, it's like, "Oh, Chris got a promotion at Google." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I used to be a, a bit of a travel blogger. So my mum would say that I, I wrote stories on the internet, which was nice of her. So she's really proud of me, tells oh, her wow. friends that I write stories on the internet. Um, and that's what she thinks I do. So that's cool. <laughs> I mean, it's not untrue. I do do that. So she's accurate to a point. So that, that kind of segues nicely into the next question then. So does any of that have anything to do with what you wanted to be when you were a kid? Not at all. <clears throat> but my mum did often used to say that as a kid I'd never let the truth get in the way of a good story which is not to say that I'm a liar of course <laughs> just that I have a creative way of telling stories that's a nice spin and yes that's how <laughs> I've spun it anyway <laughs> to make myself feel better um but I mean I grew up without the internet you know like this was not 
even a job when I was a kid. Yep. I think the first job I ever wanted was to be a professional netballer. I wanted to play for the Australian Diamonds, which is the women's netball team. Okay. Was netball big in Australia? Yeah, big big in Australia. Yeah. Okay. If you're if you're a girl, you you play netball. Well, back in the eighties yep. and nineties, netball was the thing. Netball or tennis. And I turns out I'm shit at both. So that was a really short lived dream. But my mum is huge into sport. I mean, both my parents are. It's just, in Australia, you're into sport, basically. Okay. And I'm like the worst Australian ever, which is why I moved here, because I thought, well, I was going to say I'll be a, a poor man's Brit, but that's not fair because it's the other way around, isn't it? Australia's where you sent all your cast off. Oh, dodgy ground, I think we get onto there. <laughs> yeah, well, pedal back, pedal back. <laughs> so yeah, netball, and then, because my mum was, she like was the president of a netball association, basically, when I was a kid. Okay. And so I thought, I'll, you know, try and please my mum and play sport. But I was shit, yeah, really shit at it. Uh, just no coordination in general. I mean, my body's not built for sport. <laughs> not for agile sport, anyway. <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Despite... No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. No. So that was a very short-lived dream, that one. Okay. I think then I wanted to be a lawyer because I thought I was really good at arguing. But it turns out I was just really good at, like, shouting my own opinions. And that's not the same thing. I don't know. It's a fine line. It is a really fine line, but I did do sort of like legal studies towards the end of, of high school and just really boring. It's not for me. Okay. <laughs> not for me. And then school teacher. I thought that'd be like, cool. I love kids. Kids are great. No, not for me. You know, when you like, I've just realized I'm shaking my head and obviously it's a podcast so people can't see my hilarious reaction to that sentence. But <laughs> when you're in high school and they send you to do like your week work experience or whatever. Yes, I remember it clearly. Well, I remember it for the wrong reasons because I did tell them I wanted to be a teacher. So they, they put me in a like a nursery for, I, th- I guess it was like babies through to like three or four year olds. Okay. And it was just, it was just kids like babies screaming and pooing and vomiting just all day, every day. And that's just not fun at all. And then they also gave me these like boring, monotonous admin tasks, like rearranging files. This is probably the worst thing that could have happened, but it was the week that September 11 happened. Okay. And I remember being at the office or in the office, sorry, at the at the nursery watching it happen and just think like just thinking there's got to be more to life than this, you know, and like yeah. I think that's had a real like I guess I had maybe I had a traumatic response to that. But after that, I was like, no, I'm never working with kids. Kids is not for me. So that was the end of that. It's interesting you say that one of the guests I had on the other day talked about death uh, in, in a kind of kind of a different way, but the journey he went from that emotion and that story, how it shaped the rest of his life, because that was a decision like point for him, and it and it made him focus wow. different. And I guess nine eleven that's similar, right? It sort of makes you quest question things and yeah, yeah, especially because I was like sixteen, I guess at the time, and like that was my first sort of real acknowledgement of how scary the world is. Like I lived in this little Australian bubble, you know, we had we got a lot of TV from the states, we had local news. Like I, I wasn't really thinking right. beyond borders at that point. At 16, I was thinking, you know, what, what what am I doing this weekend? Like, what are my friends up to? Things like that. As most 16-year-olds do, though, don't they? Exactly, exactly. So that was my, I guess, my first real, like, acknowledgement of the world beyond, you know, small-town Australia. Right, okay. Uh, and seeing how scary and, and real and raw the, the world is. And also, I guess, my first, like, experience of then war after that. You know, it was really... That was the real catalyst for some horrible, horrible times for yep. a lot of the world. That's not why I didn't become a teacher, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day. But it definitely, um, it spurned something in me and sparked a real, like, fascination with the world and, you know, getting out of Australia and seeing okay. 
what else was out there. And so, yeah, that was, I guess, at 16. When I left school, I went straight into work. I didn't go to university, although I did. I think this is off tangent, but I did get into university in a course called online journalism, which in 2002 was not a thing. Like, what is online journalism all about? And here I am many moons later, pretty much doing that. Funny how things work out, isn't it? But without student debt. So that's nice. (laughs) How did you apply for that course then? I don't know, like I did really well in creative writing at school, like all my English studies were really, really, they were my my best sort of studies. Okay. And it's a bit different in Australia when you want to apply for, because there's not really that many universities for a start. So a lot of them just have really broad subjects and then you sort of like specialise later. And so I just sort of applied to do a bunch of different sort of English based sort of studies. And that was the offer that I got was online journalism. Very strange. I turned it down in the end and went to work and I worked many, many jobs. (laughs) between then and now any regrets about not going to uni no I mean I regret no I'm gonna say no because I am in the same the only thing that differentiates me between peers and colleagues in the same industry now same job now is age I'm older than most people because I I started later in digital a lot of you know a lot of my peers and colleagues they all did uni and went straight into into digital whereas I had a good 10 years in the middle where I was bouncing around hospitality customer service retail traveling you know trying to find myself quote unquote and then ended up here in a really backhanded way and so age is is the thing that I have like is the biggest difference because I think we probably all have the same knowledge I don't think that I missed anything I disagree. I, well, knowledge maybe, but I think your experience is probably uh, a positive that people younger, and I don't mean this to sound derogatory to young people, but that experience you've got will stand you in good stead in a lot of ways, won't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, I definitely have, you know, 10 years of like customer service experience really helps when it comes to, I guess, client comms and yep. networking and things like that, where, yeah, if, if you've gone straight to uni and not had a job and then you're straight into an office environment, you don't have you don't have that that networking and that conversational experience, you know, of just meeting a stranger and having a chat and it not being anything other than a chat. Yeah, I'm the same. I didn't go to university either and I don't regret it. Yeah. The only thing I sometimes think about is so my wife did go to university, as did some of my friends, and it's it's the network or the friendships probably is a better word than network. So they they got there in that. Mm. But then I got that in the workplaces I was at. and Yeah, same. And you know what? A lot of... You know, I went to university. Uh, sorry, I didn't go to university. But I, when I, where I grew up and where my friends went to university, I still went to the same parties as them. It's not like I wasn't, I wasn't missing out on the, the, the uni bits, experience. Yeah, I got to go to the. I didn't. I had. A, I got a hangover and went to work. They got a hangover and went back to uni the next day. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I was earning money. They were spending money on an education. So I, I didn't miss out on the uni experience. I just missed out on the education part. But I, yeah. it, I ended up with a different education. And as you say, I think in some ways. They're similar, if not better, having the the life experience. Yeah, I agree. So no, I don't I don't regret not going to university. <laughs> Lovely. I wonder if we've already talked about it, but I'll ask it anyway. So what would you say has been one of the most pivotal moments in your life? That's really hard, isn't it? Because I don't do a lot of reflecting on my life. Is there a reason you don't reflect? Um I mean a therapist would probably say yes, <laughs> there's a reason. I just think I just I'm living my life. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't really think I did X five years ago and it's led me to here type thing okay but I mean you know on paper I've done some really brave things you know I didn't go to university that was brave because back then 99% of my friends all went to university because they felt they had to yeah. you know those same friends are all married with kids because they felt they had to and I'm the one percent from my year at school that doesn't live in that same place anymore right 
that's huge. And like, it was a massive deal when I left home because no one leaves home from where I lived anyway. Where were you living? So was it a small... So I, I grew up, yeah, I grew up in Adelaide in South Australia. Okay. Well, just not in the city, just outside in the northern suburbs. But Adelaide is known for three things. Uh, the Brossa Valley, which is some of the greatest wine you'll ever have in the, in the world. Okay. Uh, the amount of churches that we have, which is like, I guess, akin to the sheep in Wales type <laughs> thing. And serial killers, because we're the murder capital of the, of Australia, so that's pretty cool. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. They're not the reasons I left, of course, but <laughs> it is also sort of known as the 20-minute city. So you you be anywhere in 20 minutes. Okay. And there's also like three degrees of separation. So you meet anyone on the street and you'll know someone who knows someone who knows them. Oh, okay. So it's really closed-minded, really small town. And not many people leave. No, not many people leave, or didn't back then anyway. So that was really pivotal. Me deciding to leave was probably the first pivot, big old pivot. Let me ask you then, did you leave Adelaide to another city in Australia or did you leave Adelaide to come here? I moved to Wellington in New Zealand, okay. which was, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say Australia and New Zealand are the same, obviously, but it's a bit like going from England to Scotland right. in that it's the same language, the same almost currency and we have the same like high street and I was yeah. working in retail at the time and so I you know I finished work on a Friday in Adelaide and started on Monday in the same brand same job but okay. in Wellington so it was really a really easy move that okay. didn't take a lot of thought or consideration and um, my mum's a Kiwi so her family were there so I you know I was surrounded by family and I had my cousins that I was living with so it was just a fresh start it felt like and okay. at the time like even just moving you know it's the spans of water between Australia and New Zealand's like 1600 kilometers it's not that far but it felt like I was brave big and brave and I'd done this thing and I'd moved away but really I was three hours ahead of my mum type thing <laughs> 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 which is you know it is what it is when you're 20 21 years old and then from Wellington I moved to Melbourne so I was in Wellington for I think two two and a half three years and then I moved to Melbourne which felt like sort of like it I went from Adelaide to Wellington Wellington was a bigger city Melbourne was a bigger city and then I was in Melbourne for yeah I guess three years again and then I decided nope I want to see the rest of the world so that's when I packed up and moved to what I thought was London but ended up being a sofa bed in Greys in Essex so when wow. someone from England tells you they're from London really just double check that postcode before you agree to sleep on their sofa for five months but you'll find that when Brits are abroad particularly or anywhere actually and they're speaking to people from a different country it's just easier I mean I've, I've I remember when we were, I've been to Australia I've been to Thailand and all these mm -hmm. things it's like, where are you from? Oh, you know, uh, Hertfordshire. Where's that? And then you, you, and you and just go, London. Oh, just, you know what? It's, it's kind of London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of London. That's, it's just easier. I mean, when you're having someone move from Australia, though, try and tell them it's Hertfordshire, not London, because it's yeah. different. It's really far. Grays is probably a little bit cheaper, though. Well, I had to get the C to C into work every day. So when I finally got a job, um, my first job in the UK was on just off Carnaby Street, which was, I was like buzzing, like, oh my God, I work on Carnaby Street. The yeah. C to C, a weekly pass was like four, or no, it was like what, 400 pounds a week, I think. 400 pounds a week. No, that can't be right. Must have been 400 pounds a month. Yeah. Yeah, because I wouldn't have been able to afford to live. But that's not cheap. I mean, I'd no, always not. been able to walk to work where I lived previously. I feel like I interrupted you a little bit by asking about New Zealand. And you, you started no, it's saying, fine. You said about, oh, you know, that was one of my big pivotal moments. One of, yeah. So that, that I guess, moving away and then sort of moving here, that's sort of like one and then one point. 1.a 1.b i think re the most recent sort of pivotal moment was the discovery i guess or realization 
um, that I am neurodivergent. I was diagnosed recently with ADHD and sort of learning that and what that means for me and my behavior, my personality. A lot of my life before now, I've sort of been admonished and berated and in education and in professional settings for what I felt like was just being myself. Yeah. You know, being loud, blunt, being a bit disinterested in things that bore me. Yeah. And not really, I'm not the type of person to beat around the bush, like chit chat and like this garbage, just like... <laughs> Can we just focus on the point at hand type thing? So I bet when you found that out then, that was a massive aha moment. Oh, it? it just like, you know, people talk about a light bulb moment and like yeah. I physically, yeah, it was, a, it was a light bulb in my brain that just went, that's, that's it. That's what it is. Like, yeah, literally, yeah. aha. So yeah, learning that and I guess the... Sorry to interrupt you again. No, no. How did you, how did you come about learning that? So it was... Like, to be honest, it, it was it was not a, an in easy or overnight thing. And I'd had some professional feedback that I that wasn't sitting well with me because I, I had felt like it was almost a bit of a personal attack on me. Okay. And so I sort of was doing a bit of research on, might sound a bit, I don't know, maybe a bit pathetic, but how to be a better person, basically, because I was starting to feel like I was not a good person. Okay. Which any of my friends will <laughs> will tell you and have told me is utter garbage. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about that, but... But it's funny, it's funny how a little bit of feedback that's probably casually delivered mm -hmm. by someone who doesn't really give a shit has that impact right it's yeah and, and i think that happens in work environments a lot you know as managers we're always like well we have one-to-ones and you know a good manager would obviously do one-to-ones very well but bad mm -hmm. manager which i've had several and i have mm -hmm. similar anecdotes to that to, mm -hmm. to yours like people don't think about the impact that has on the person no. receiving that casual bit of throwaway no comment and it's but, you know, and and to give, I guess, some hindsight, previous managers haven't known either, and I didn't know. But yeah, there, there definitely needs to be a lot more management of line managers in how to deliver feedback because you, you just don't know how someone's going to take something. But you know what? Many people, I mean, especially in the digital marketing industry in particular, and I, and I say that because I know that one well as opposed to other industries, and mm. it could be exactly the same. But I'm seeing it more and more now where people are just getting promoted and promoted mm, mm, and promoted, mm. especially when someone leaves a company yeah it's absolutely like, I mean, you you see it on twitter all day long it's like oh please yeah. announce i've just been promoted and i'm not yeah. saying for a minute that nobody deserves it but very quickly find yourself in a position where you're doing one job one day yeah. and then the next day it's like right now you manage a team of four people yeah and there's a huge difference between being a people manager and managing an account and they aren't they shouldn't have the same job title for a start because you can be an account manager yeah and manage that account to your clients like utter perfection yep. you can know everything about that account you can handle that client you can know what's happening at any given point and and crisis comms and fix problems and be great at that yeah but then you can be a line manager and truly care about people yep. and how to build people up support mentor to offer critical solution to individual needs and problems yeah and so often those things are combined into one person. It's a totally different psychology, isn't it? It's so wrong. It is so so wrong. And I'm not yeah. saying I'm I'm a brilliant line manager because I'm I'm definitely not. And you know, as you said, like I've had jobs in the past where I was made a I was a store manager. I looked after an entire store, like the security of a store that had cash money in it. That I had to set an alarm every day where people but the public would come through and I was in charge of everything. Like no one's, just because I was good at my job because I was good at selling things. So they went, you should be the manager and people can learn from you. And you think, 
that's not how you teach people things. Like, no. that was terrifying. So, yeah. Anyway, and then being I mean, managing... I mean, do you know what? This subject could be a podcast. In I know, I know. We're, really could... we're off on a tangent. But anyway, so on that, so when I was looking at research into how to be a better person, yeah. which I, you know, that is a, a big, like, I look back and can laugh on it. But at the time, it was like tearful and horrible. I, I learned about this thing called rejection sensitivity sensitivity dysphoria which is when you take something off the cuff and it just destroys you like the smallest little comment so it could be like this is really great but and that but just tears your world down and then I was doing a lot of research into that like how do I overcome this like all that sort of stuff and it sort of led me down the ADHD path and the more than I read about ADHD I was just like ticking boxes yep that's me yep that's me one of the other biggest things that I'd done research on sort of previously and, and really only since the pandemic started because it was something that I, I guess I went from being in an office every day to being in my own flat every day by myself with no colleagues yeah. to talk to. I found I was losing words. Like I would forget the name of things because I wasn't speaking to people. I wasn't consuming like audio from around, from people, from being around noise. Yeah. But I, I was losing words for things. And I, and I started looking into, genuinely was researching early onset dementia. And again, a lot of that research led me back to ADHD because it's a common symptom of neuro, I can never say the word, neurodivergent. Okay. And so, yeah, that, that all led me to ADHD. And then I, I sort of ju- joined a few like forums and things like that because girls don't have ADHD. This is the thing, like all of the studies that we know about ADHD and I will I am going to passionately tangent go on a tangent about this but all of the studies that are out there about ADHD were all done in the late 80s early 90s and only included boys because boys were disruptive in class they fought they hit people they were a menace to society and they needed medicating little yep. girls were dreamy and creative and their minds were away with the fairies and that was like fine because they're only going to marry a man and stay at home and make sandwiches all day. So it's totally fine to ignore them. But here we are. I have two little girls and I, I can assure you that. <laughs> they're not making sandwiches for anybody, right? Hundred percent. Like I can't even, I'm terrible at cooking, which is apparently another ADHD thing. But anyway, so yeah, the studies from back then, they just didn't include girls at all. And so we all just brushed, got brushed under the carpet, basically brushed to the side. We'll worry about them later. And then there's this real like, Wrong. So hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Then, so when you were doing mm. your research, mm. you couldn't find any studies like modern day or recent. The recent ones basically are c- currently happening. So there's a lot okay. of like current increases in women being referred for psychiatry to Psychiatry UK, which is the, the the arm of the NHS that looks after all the neurodiversities. So like autism, um, dyspraxia, dyslexia, ADHD, all those sorts of things. Okay. Because it's not something a GP can diagnose. It has to be diagnosed by a, a psychologist or like a clinical. Right. Yeah. And so all of the studies I was looking at were all like increase in women being referred, increase in women being diagnosed late in life, increase in women. Like we're talking like in their 40s and 50s being okay. diagnosed now after years of struggling or after their sons had been diagnosed because it's an, it's hereditary trait. So if your son is diagnosed with ADHD, it's likely it's come from, well, it's, it will right? have come from the parent in some way. So either as any of those ND traits, so autism, all those other things I mentioned. 
because they're all I on a spectrum not... basically so you can anyway i did not know that i didn't I, I had no idea it was hereditary yeah me either but when i look at my parents i can see my dad is definitely autistic have you spoke to have you had this conversation with him not with my dad i have with my mum it's just my dad is in his 70s and it's not really he, he he's a boomer you know they don't believe in mental health they don't believe in uh, solutions like that and it's because of his autism it would be a really difficult conversation to have okay and probably not one that's worth having right okay but my my mother and i have discussed it and it makes a lot of sense so and that's fine like his life is fine he's happy in his little life and yeah. i wasn't so i want i needed to find a solution i needed answers as to why i am the way i am so this was all over lockdown you sort of really got your answers to this yeah yeah so it I guess it was highlighted by working from home because I, I yeah. found that I was working better because there was no disruption. So I didn't have people coming up to my desk. There was no commute. There was no just the constant chatter or people clacking on the keyboards, like all yeah. those little things, which is like sensory, was sensory overload. I hated being in the office and it would wind me up and I'd be really stressed and, and then little things would get to me and I'd be moody and snappy and all these it's just there's so much to it than just like getting distracted and liking sparkly things and you know this really vapid sort of idea of ADHD that people have it's not that it is so much more than that people can go their whole lives without knowing they have autism or they are sorry I don't like to say have autism like it's a thing like I feel like you are autistic yeah Yeah. you I, I, I don't mind saying that I have ADHD because I do have it's it's a disorder it's a you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder so i have a disorder but autism is a brain rewiring it's just it 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 just is autism yeah and i I guess that spectrum as well goes from very very mild oh yeah very very like non-verbal yeah non-verbal and and you know there are really some really really hard cases for sure and i'm somewhere down the bottom i guess like i'm I think one of your questions later was is about like how people perceive me, but we'll get yeah. to that, I guess. So what I was going to say, so you've obviously found this out over lockdown. Mm-hmm. Have you seen massive improvements since being aware of this or, oh or having that aha moment? So much. So like my world has changed. My life has changed. That That's because, significant. Oh, I, utterly. Because I took wow. myself out of that environment where I was being made to feel like I was not a good person. Yeah. Because that's that for me was the, the the crux of it is that I have always thought that I was a bad person because of the way people reacted to me because I would you know be loud or be obnoxious or whatever and they'd get offended or I mean, it's fascinating and I, I know you know from your side of the table you probably think well you know <laughs> it's not that fascinating it's my life but it's it's a fascinating thing to hear that you know you've been through all this and this one bit of information is mm-hmm. that life changing yeah Matt absolute like mind-blowing revelation that i mean knowing it was just like i like a a physical relief i could feel worry like dripping off of me because i i now had an answer and it wasn't me it's not it's not me it's not my personality it is i mean it is me but it's not it's so hard to explain. It's so hard to verbalise because... I mean, we're, we're obviously talking about this now. Hmm. And, and, and don't take this the wrong way. Like, no, for no reason should you be quiet about it. But are, are you... Oh, I'm on a soapbox. Are I'm you? talking to everyone about it. Everyone okay. should hear about it. They and should. Actually... That's, that's why I was asking. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important for... Like I said, I had no idea. I'm not well versed in this topic in the slightest. Neither was I a year hear... ago. <laughs> no, but there's people in my life now i'm thinking about oh i wonder if they like 
I feel like this episode will be really valuable for this. I was I was misdiagnosed about six or seven years ago with um, anxiety and depression. And that label never sat well with me because I'm not a depressed person. I'm not sad. I'm really bubbly, happy, chatty. Like one of the questions when they, and this is probably going to get really dark, but one of your previous um, guests spoke about death, so it's fine. One of the questions they ask you when they assess you for depression is, do you have suicidal tendencies? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, uh, absolutely not. That's, and I'm lucky to say that because mm-hmm. obviously a lot of people do and that's why it's on the, on the form. And then when you have your phone call, they ask you like, is there, is there something, what's the question? It's like, is there something that keeps you going? Is there something that you want to stay alive for basically is what they're getting at. And my okay. response is always, there are so many dogs left for me to pat and so much excellent food left in this world for me to eat, right? Yeah. I, I have no interest in dying. I love being alive. I love, yeah, I just love being alive, right? Because it's such a great experience. So the, the term de- um, depression never sat well with me and I just always sort of challenged that. But the anxiety... It was, it, it was a bit of a bandwagon, trendy yeah, term, budget. wasn't it, for well, a while? It's like a bucket that we can just... If anyone's struggling a bit, are they depressed? I, but it, this is, a, a, again, this is a whole other podcast topic on the NHS, overburdened, under-resourced. Like, their answer is big pharma. Like, how do we solve this problem? How do we make these people feel better? Here's yeah. some pills. Like, this will help you because otherwise you're on a wait list for 18 months to just talk to somebody. Yeah. And therapy, talking therapy is not for everybody. Like I tried it. It was not for me. And yet here I am talking to you. The thing is, I'd rather talk to people that I know. But you know, it's funny. Talk. Yeah. In my head, I just thought then. <laughs> you think you I'd be have, great should, at therapy. <laughs> you, no, I was going to say you should have your own podcast. Oh, I God. Think. <laughs> I think it's great. And I, I think that but it's fascinating because I, like, I've, I started this podcast because I want to learn stuff. Yeah. And I, and I have learned stuff now. And that's good. For me, that's a hugely positive thing. And I, all I'm thinking in my head is, I wonder why Erica hasn't got her own podcast or because <laughs> I don't or... have the, I don't have the willpower. I don't have the drive. Or I'm not very committed. I'm not. I'm not. I, yeah, I, I struggle to commit to things. And like, if okay. it's something I have to, like, <laughs> the biggest example is that I had to stop playing Wordle, right? Because I couldn't commit to doing it every day. Like, it's such a big. It's a stressful thing to have to like do it every day <laughs> no I can't i've never it. i've never ever played wordle oh good well don't because it's stressful <laughs> well no and then the, re- the reason i haven't is because i know that once i start i'll be like oh god i've got to do it every exactly day. and then it's and then it's like time pressure because you have to do it that day but then once you sort of start you sort of want to finish it oh it was no it was too stressful so i've had to stop wordle oh. <laughs> But look, if anyone out there listening wants me on the podcast, apparently I'm quite a good guest, so you can have me on. Uh, you are a good guest. You are. You are. I can't even remember what we were talking about, but yeah, basically. We were, talk- we were talking about pivotal moments in your yeah. life, yeah. and you'd said about traveling and moving away from Australia, but yeah, it sounds to me like the whole ADHD side of things is, I mean, is I don't it? think that could be trumped, right, from a pivotal no, well, moment. No, we're not using that word, but it's definitely the biggest, the best. Yeah. The most recent, the most pivotal. Yeah, for sure. For okay. sure. In that case, we will move on to the next question. Tell me tell me one of the best pieces of advice you've received. Probably, again, really hard one because I don't ask for advice. <laughs> I'm good at giving advice because well, it's mainly unwanted advice, but I'm good at giving my opinion on things. You're the second person to say that, by the way. And really? I'm, I'm similar. Yeah, I, I'm very good at giving advice. I'm not very good at taking, taking it, it or receiving yeah. it. Yeah. 
and and I know I'm not good at taking it. That's why I don't ask for it. Um, but I think one of the best sort of statements of advice that I'd seen that I have resonated with and have taken on board was that done is better than perfect. Um, I like that one as well. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, again, it stems back to ADHD as it turns out, because I, I had a real or have probably less now, but I had a real problem with starting a project and then Mm -hmm. also finishing it. If I was starting something and I didn't have like a template or an idea of how it should look or what needed to be included, I'd procrastinate until the cows come home because I don't know where to start. Like a blank page, there's nothing scarier for me than a blank page. Like even now when I'm writing a press release, I'll make a copy of a past one. So I have a template. I know what it's going to look like, what needs to go where. And, and for me, that's just like copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. But when there's a blank page, like, terrifying um but and you've then identified be... that right and yeah. and now you have a process to try because yeah. that's very similar to i'm incredibly similar to you in that aspect i done it done is better than perfect is one of my mottos as well yeah. and the reason for it is because i would start a project i didn't really have a problem starting it necessarily mm-hmm. but i had this kind of like perfectionist tendency that yeah. unless it looked like, like like the finished article and i i, I mean i've got domains coming out my backside stored away with like dodgy websites on not quite <laughs> finished yeah and it's the same thing and it's like with my current one e-opinion now i've really come out of my comfort zone and made a conscious effort I, I, people won't understand how much hard work i'm putting into just keeping that running and just mm. keeping it going and keeping yeah. it going because i'm the same as you i i, I have this real thing about it's got to be perfect and until it's like YouGov and looking like YouGov. And... Oh, but what's perfect? Yeah, YouGov's such an ugly website. Like it is. The UX yeah. on that is not great. So someone's clearly gone done is better than perfect there because people are going to that site for data and insight. They're not going for a fun, pretty experience, are they? No, they're not. But still, as much as I hate comparing, you know, and comparison being the thief of joy and all that, mm. I, you know, you can't help yourself. Someone's going right. I mean, they're a billion dollar company. Right. So they're obviously doing something right. And, you, you know, you think, okay, if they're a billion, you know, they're doing something right. So I have to kind of look and be a little bit like them, which is the but worst you... thing you can do because you've got to be yourself and you've well, got to look, have your own journey. My advice and... to you, Chris, even though you didn't <laughs> ask for it, is there a million, billion, whatever, pound company because of the data that they have, not because of how it looks, because of the that. insights that they have on the population and just generally as industry leaders, as insight merchants. That's yeah. why they're a billion pounds. Oh, I know, I know that. And listen, I'm not saying my my theory is rational. I, I'm <laughs> yeah, totally that's, aware it's not. <laughs> yeah, but not. The, the done is better than perfect thing is, you know, they always say, don't they? If you're not embarrassed by your first draft or your first uh, yeah. website, or whatever, then you, you're kind of you're launching too late. I think is the saying. Oh, that's interesting. Which, yeah, that I like that. I like that. Um, that's really good. But yeah, so that for me, like, yeah, I I really struggle to start, but then I also have that perfection problem where I what's funny is if someone sent me a presentation I could I could fix it I could format it and spot all of the little errors and make it look better but on my own work I feel like I've stared at it too long so it gets to a point where I'm like the information's on the page everything I need to tell the story is there yeah it's done it's done I think it's key that the takeaway lesson here is you identifying that there's an issue there but having Mm. that process in place like me i know that 
I mean, I've got process docs. I, the funny thing is, Erica, you'll love this. I used <laughs> to hate process. Hated it. I, I thought it stifled my creativity. I thought it was like bureaucratic, all this sort of stuff. And I hated it. And then when I started my own business and I started, you know, employing people or contractors and all this sort of stuff, I was like, shit, I need, I need something in here to ex explain to people why this is the way it is because mm -hmm. I can't do everything. But then I started adopting it in all this other stuff. Like, it's mad how I, I've gone total 180 on, <laughs> on, on process. But Yeah, but it's your process. It is, but I need to have something in place sometimes mm. to... Like whether it's a template or whether it's and i think templates are key and i think they're yeah, very for sure, um, yeah, template, underrated sure. yeah i agree i definitely i rely on and not like a blank template but like an example of one i've done before because then that for yeah. me is like this is what worked last time i'll do this again but i hadn't thought of it in the way you said a blank page is terrifying mm. and actually you really got my mind going now I'm like <laughs> is it terrifying for me as well is this why i have the blank template uh, sorry the template to then work from because a blank page for me is terrifying mm. i don't know maybe but done is better than perfect done is, is much better than perfect yep 100 percent. great advice okay <clears throat> next question is about lessons you've learned and tell me about some of the most valuable ones of those most recently i learned the hard way that i need to value myself my experiences and my skills more than i have done or more than i probably still do okay um and i think that just sort of comes from those years of essentially feeling like i wasn't very good yep. at my job um or as a person um and so that sort of left me charging quite low as a freelancer yeah but also when i started freelancing it it wasn't, I didn't know very many freelancers and I didn't have the people that I do now that I could ask, that I could confide in, that I could, you know, seek advice from. Yeah. Um, and so I sort of ballpark figure, I knew what we were paying freelancers in my agency and I picked that number and went, that'll do. But were you, were you underselling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Big time, big time. And actually I'd even reduced that fee for some people as well because they couldn't afford it or they didn't. I guess they didn't see the value and maybe I wasn't strong enough at selling myself. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't because I'd honestly left my previous job with no confidence, no self-esteem, no value, self-value, that sort of stuff. So that was probably fairly evident and perhaps I was taken advantage of without knowing. And that's nobody's fault. And I, I certainly don't have, there's no hard feelings for anyone that did lowball me back then because I was desperate for a job. I had no money. I had an income. Uh, sorry, I had a mortgage. You know, I was just like, yep, yeah, happy to do that. That's fine. Yeah, but that's but a I great think... lesson to learn ultimately, isn't it? Because yeah, oh, now, 100%. now you've yeah. learned it, I guess things are dramatically different. Oh, it, I mean, I'm probably now charging almost double what I did back then, and that was a year ago. Yeah. So, but it, it was it was after speaking with these, you know, I, I soon, like I quickly made a network of freelancers. I quickly found mentors within the industry who I could speak freely and openly with, who, you know, respected me and and were happy enough to, to speak openly with me. Um, shout out to Hannah Butcher uh, for a drunken conversation at Brighton SEO. Um, <laughs> and also... Um, did you know Did you know her before? I'd known... So I, I had met um, Hannah last year at Brighton and we'd, we'd like get along like a house on fire. She's a fantastic human. And, and during the pandemic, she did quite a number of um, 
speaking opportunities around neurodivergence because she okay. um, also is on the spectrum. Um, she's at the moment looking to get diagnosed with ADHD. Um, so she's got a lot of her own stories that we share. Like we, we share a lot of the same sort of um, insights and thought processes and stuff like that. So we get along really, really well. Um, and it was a drunken conversation at this Brighton SEO where she essentially told me that I'm worth X and that I'm ridiculously undercharging. Um, okay. And this is paraphrasing. So, you know, sorry, Hannah, if you're listening. Um, but after that sort of kick up the bum from her, from someone I respect and someone who's also in a in a position of employing me on a, you know, if, if she wants, I mean, she's an MD, you know, like she yep. knows how much people are worth. She pays salaries. She's, you know, yep. hires freelancers. Yep. So she, she knows what she's talking about. I took that as the, the, yeah, the kick up the bum I needed. Um, and then I, I went away and did some more research. And there was a, a report that came out from um, a freelancer platform called Unojuno. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they basically are a bit like a, a bit like Fiverr or People Per Hour, um, but specifically for freelancers. So you, you have like a, a profile and you can pick and choose jobs. And uh, okay. some, some agencies I've worked with just use that to, to pay their freelancers basically, because then you know Juno pays you and then they invoice so it just means you get paid on time basically okay. but as the biggest I guess community of freelancers they issue a, a yearly report which showed all of the sort of average figures across industry like just to show the the minimum that people were charging in certain industries the maximum and, and then the average as well as things like the interest in the industry like spike in jobs and things like that which yeah I never used to like data, Chris. I used to hate it. Like, honestly, I used to loathe the idea of doing research. But now I just find it fascinating. Like, the more the more research I can do on any topic, I'm like, oh, how do I make that into a story? How do I make that into a story? But for me, the biggest takeaway was there's a benchmark now. There's a benchmark yeah. for me. I know what the industry is, is uh, paying their PR influencers, uh, influencers. They're PR professionals, yeah. PR freelancers, sorry. That's the word I was trying to say, freelancers. And I can I can base my my new day rate on that. Okay. Did you change your day rate with any of your existing clients? Yes. And if you yeah. did, what was the how did that conversation go and what was the response? It was fine. Um I've it would be this this is the second time I've done it. So I did it after six months and of freelance and then um which sort of coincided with the start of the new year. And yep. then my new day rate will start from, from June. So I have told them all um, and there's been no no question on it, which again just says to me, maybe I'm still undercharging. Yeah, I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> but I get I, to a point, I, I'm like, well, where do I stop? Like, at what point are they going to say no? <laughs> but... I, I heard a saying, was it yesterday or this morning? I can't remember. And I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, but mm. it was, if you get a yes straight away, you've, you've gone too low. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of what, there was one of my clients where I have just recently upsold. So I've, I've gone from two days to three. Um, and so three days at my new day rate, they, they couldn't quite make that. So we've gone for like a combined sort of figure, but okay. one that I'm still happy with and one that is still higher than the average. Yep. So, and, and I love that job. The team is fantastic. They respect me. I love the work that I'm putting out. So for me, and you know what? It's not all about the money. Like No, I was just going to say that actually. <laughs> It, when I was in an agency, it was because I was working long hours. I, I didn't feel like I was producing my best work. Yeah. And, you know, there's this like competition to earn more money, to be promoted, to get the bigger salary. But now I'm already earning double what I was earning in my agency job. Yeah. 
and it's not like yes the cost of living all of that but i'm 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 good i'm but good but you'll get you're getting a fair rate now i guess right yeah Whereas... and i my work-life balance is like <laughs> just the best it's ever been i work the hours that suit me i work around my dog who this is it probably sounds ridiculous but i guess it's a bit like when you've got kids right you have to take him on the school run I have to take the dog out every day to see his friends. Otherwise, he doesn't sleep in the daytime. It's totally the same. And like, so exactly I work from home. My wife works from home. And she's, she's made a similar jump to you. Uh, mm -hmm. A different industry, but similar. Uh, is in similar uh, freelancing. Mm -hmm. I work for myself. And the flexibility that comes with it. Uh, un unrivaled. I'm, I'm working, I'm not going to say as hard, because that's the wrong word, but as efficiently and as productively as I used to, if not more so, in fact. Mm -hmm. And I see my kids more. I, mm -hmm. I do the school run. I pick them up. All sorts of stuff. And yeah, I, I, I don't know if you see. I tweeted earlier about uh, uh, Alan Sugar put out a tweet about people working from home being BS and they're lazy and all this. I just, it's so old fashioned. It's so old fashioned. Presenteeism is not is not an example of hard work. It just no, isn't. I'm it's sorry. Not. Of course it's not. And I think don't get me wrong. I think there is sometimes value in having group dynamics and, and, and being in that sort of situation that you can't necessarily replicate online mm -hmm. but at the same time I strongly believe that if you have a good employee they can be more productive wherever they're comfortable if they want to go to the office fine they go to the office but if mm. they want to be at home and they want to walk their dog or take their kids to school mm. you know that that employee is going to be happy and the happy mm -hmm. employees are more productive and if you've got a crap one who does crap work they're gonna do crap work whether they're in an office or exactly. at home so <laughs> exactly no i yeah i'm a hundred percent on the same page as you um yeah it's, it is the, the whole thing about presenteeism is is such um it, it's going to lead me on to my my declaration of which i'm well known for on on the internet now but i do feel like jobs are just scams these days like having to go into an office and be present in an office nine till five thirty, go to the pub be there be at the pub socialize with your colleagues it's all just for show like honestly it is company so... culture oh my god but we've got a pool <laughs> table and there's yep. pizza on a friday like come on who i read a oh my god okay so i read a really interesting thread from um an autistic guy and it was a thread for other autists on how to understand office culture. Yeah. And there was about 20 points. So I'm not going to go through them all, but the biggest ones that stuck out for me and that resonated because they very much coincided with experiences that I've had is that you can do more for your career by going to the pub with your colleagues than you can by doing a good job. Yeah. I don't doubt that. I don't doubt. I mean, it's, it is true. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not no, saying no. it's right. Oh God, no, it's definitely not right. But that hit hard for me because I've always been a worker bee, right? I'm not, yeah. I don't, I don't have these grand dreams of running an agency. I don't want to employ people. I don't, I didn't even want to be a director. I didn't want to move up in my job. I liked my job, doing my job. But that's not okay if you're in an agency because you have to be ambitious. You have to want to climb a ladder. You have to want to want the next thing. And I just yep. didn't. I loved doing my job, but that's not good enough. And that was never no. going to get me a pay rise because a pay rise comes with a promotion. And if I don't want a promotion, I don't get a pay rise. Do you know what I mean? No, I 100% um, do. It's, it's, it's and scarily that's, that, accurate. It is what it is. And that's fine. I can't argue with that. So I left, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's the short story. 
But but when I think back to the cultural fit, it wasn't for me because I'm like I said earlier, I'm ten years older than everyone else on my team. Yeah. I don't have the uni banter, you know, of going in, out in the lash on a school night and then going to. I'm in my thirties. Like I have a four day hangover if I drink two glasses of wine. Like, no, it's not for me. Um, and I do think across the industry that politics in the workplace is more profe- is does more for your profession does more for you professionally than doing a good job yes and i don't sit that doesn't sit well with me there's a lot of parallels there from why i do what i do and where Same. i do it yeah um but do you think then because i hadn't really looked at it from that point of view before but i have noticed that a freelancers are booming springing mm-hmm. up everywhere mm-hmm. same with entrepreneurs and people going out and doing their own stuff and now you kind of triggered something in my mind that made me think it's like is this why is this or one of the reasons maybe is this why that so many people are going freelance because they don't want to work in those environments and actually 100%. everyone who's going down this culture route and so keen on effing culture that actually it's i don't know one freelancer that is that misses going to an office I'm sorry, but I spent no. two years at home doing my job perfectly fine. Like, why do I need to now come back to the office that you're paying far too much money for? Like, that's not my fault that you signed a 10-year lease. Like, sorry, but... But then it's, I, I don't know. I, I'm of the opinion that, yes, economics and money is an important side of it. But I'm also of the opinion that... And I'll use the word culture, but not in the <laughs> way that everyone means I think it's I don't know it's there's more to it than having a happy team and again, culture means something different for everybody. Yeah. Like. Yeah, of course, it's not a tick box exercise where no. you buy a ping pong table and put no. a beer fridge in. It's just it's culture comes from, in my opinion, letting the personalities of the team drive the culture. Right? Yeah. That that's yep. what it is. It, it. I mean, God, I've been to some forced fun events that yeah, I companies are work, and it's just rubbish yeah yeah. but i will say though there are some agencies out there doing some fantastic work on culture um and for me culture includes accountability and trust that the work will get done and i don't need you to to check it in on me every hour and i know from um because i follow a lot of the team on all the social medias but I know um, Journey Further are doing quite a bit in terms of their agile, like truly agile working in that they now don't clock in. There's no I'm online. It's just they they work when they work. They do the jobs that they need to do and then they stop. And do you know what? That will ultimately benefit them hugely, right? 100%. Because people like you who don't work for them and have got no reason to promote them will tell this story to me. No doubt you'll tell it to other people in the industry. Then all of a sudden, when when someone's looking for a new gig, it's like, oh, you know, where would I look? I will look at the company that everyone's raving about. And yeah. actually, to our point earlier, money becomes a secondary factor, right? Oh, I mean, 100%. the salaries are all give or take similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but where do you want to work? Do you want to work at a company that is kind of you know dreamy and people are like, I mean that word of mouth uh, social proof that you've just mm. said, yeah, 
you know, their HR team will be buzzing. You've just said that. You it's know? more, it's... and and it's and it's real, like it's genuine, as opposed to. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Already, I know what you're going to say. As opposed to, and maybe we don't talk about it because okay, then fine, have to edit yeah, it up. fine. It's genuine, like it is. It's truly genuine. The staff, some of them I know personally. They are, they're so happy. They're a happy bunch. Mm-hmm. They are winning. Oh my god, they're winning. M&S, Oliver Bonas, like some like big names. And it, I, the proof is in how happy their teams are, I think. Because happy teams make money. <laughs> that's, a, that's not the motto. But who's, who, who, who is it? Richard Branson. He's always said, put your team, put your staff first and then the rest will follow. And, yeah. and I think that Journey Further are the agency to watch. And I have no, what's the, what's the phrase? No affiliation. No, no sweat in the game. No, no teeth yep. in the fight. Whatever. No dog in the fight. No dog in the fight. Oh, don't fight dogs. Dogs, dogs are nice. Okay. So I think, have I asked you about decisions? No, but I think it's been like quite obvious that leaving an agency would be my best decision, right? I don't know. Would it? Surely I've been, I mean, yes, I could. Let me see what I wrote. It's mainly about jobs being scams again. Is it? Okay. I tell you what, I mean, just to finalise that jobs being scams thing is I think what I love about where we are in the world now is how what was a typical job in our parents' generation. And I think you said it earlier, like, I mean, I worked in SEO for years. Like, when I was at school, SEO wasn't even a thing. Internet we had one computer thing. at Search my engine. school. One computer. Yeah, we did. It was like, yeah, exactly. You take it in turns. And... I love the fact that where, I mean, not getting negative, there's a lot of negative stuff going on in the world, but what I do love the most is that how what we can do as jobs and what we can earn money from yeah. is open-ended, right? Yeah. The resources that are out really? there, the information you can get it anywhere is just incredible, it's totally incredible. And for me, that's such a positive thing. And I think to your point about freelancers and jobs being scams, I think you're going to see it more and more and more where the whole what is a job changes and you're going to get whole... Co- I mean, my company, for example, like I have contractors working for me and, you know, there's financial reasons, there's um, efficiency reasons, all sorts of things. But in the old days, I'd have five employees doing That's... job, 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 job. But I don't need someone to do 100% accountancy work or... 100% graphic design. I need partial, right? And yeah. And I think that's where stuff's going to get really interesting because a fractional, they call it, right? The fractional job role, mm-hmm. which is the same as being a freelancer. Like, so, you know, I, I employ a fractional accountant because I don't need one full time. Yeah. I need one for like, you know, small bits. Yeah. And I think it's a fascinating time. Yeah, I agree. Like, and, and I think to that point, I now do the parts of my old job that I love and that I'm good at and then I don't yeah. do the bits that I hated and that I was shit at or that I thought I was shit at but actually I was probably quite good at still. I just didn't like doing them. Which is and, good for you and for the company, right? Because right. probably get someone to do the bits you didn't like doing but this, who does it, like doing it. It goes back that... into that that role, that, that job, that one job that has a hundred tasks underneath it. Like, yeah. Do you actually need an account manager or do you need a line manager or do you need a 
someone who can write a press release and come up with creative ideas and outreach like what what is it that you but this is the thing erica it's counterintuitive right mm. because they they're trying to squeeze every little bit of value out of you but it's counterintuitive because not you but one might not yeah. enjoy it or like it or be good at it so yeah. therefore trying to squeeze everything out of someone they're not going to do a good job across no. 100% of their job description, no. which will then have a negative impact on a client or mm -hmm. execution of work or whatever it is. And then yeah. kind of backfires. That's why jobs are scams. Current <laughs> jobs, I think modern day jobs are scams because they aren't, they aren't designed to get the best out of people or to get no. the, sorry, to get the best result for whoever it is, for your client, for the customer, for whatever. Yeah. One person doing 12 different things is not a, is not it's a false the, economy isn't it yeah 100 percent. Okay. so yeah now now that i so i think your question was that should what, be the name of your podcast by the way what jobs are scams yeah yeah 100 <laughs> percent. but it would just be me going welcome to jobs are scams in this week on jobs are scams we talk about how jobs are scams but do you know what you could probably find 100 guests who've got a good <laughs> anecdote a yeah, funny totally. anecdote to to They'd just be 10 minute episodes. Like, tell me why you think jobs yeah, scams this week. There's nothing wrong with that. That'd be no. good. Look at your setup though. A mic and then the bookshelf. It looks great. I've got nothing. Doesn't matter. Also, it's I don't need show, the stress. Don't, don't. I don't show. need the stress. You, you, once this one goes out, once you nail this podcast, you then can start a second one called Jobs or Scams. You know, you, you, know that the, you know that the four or five people who listen to this when it goes out are going to be like straight on your Twitter going, <laughs> okay. we, we need jobsofscams.com. Fine. Someone can go out there and buy it for me. I've got no okay. money. <laughs> I think your question was about the best decision. And obviously, I think the best decision was leaving an agency because jobs are scams. And now I work in a way that is best for me, which means I get the best results for my clients. And that okay. is what everyone wants, really. Something you struggle with. How much time you got? <laughs> we're, we're already out of time. No, we're not. We're, I, I, I have, I have all the time everything. that you have. It's on you. I think, oh, I think we touched on it earlier, but I really struggle with like shouting about my own achievements and, and myself and valuing me and my input and my opinion and things like that. I've definitely gotten better lately. Um, can, I, like, can I ask you a question then on that? Then? Yeah. So I saw your tweet uh, a couple of days ago mm -hmm. where you were talking about um, all the coverage you got. Mm -hmm. And I saw all the people commenting on it, like yeah. online high-fiving you, essentially. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Is it, does that... Like a million bucks, like validated, like finally the industry, I feel validated by an industry that I really respect. From a, per from a personal perspective, as in, would you have sent that tweet... How do, I, how do I phrase this? Like, I don't think I would have ever been proud enough of myself to put that out there. I would never have thought, like, who, who cares? No one cares. Well, this, so, so this is why I'm asking, right? I, I, yeah. I see a lot of people across social being very, I don't know, in my old mindset, it would have come across as bragging mm -hmm. or boasting. But in my new mindset, my abundant, you know, everyone, I want everyone to do well mindset. Not that I didn't want people to do well, but I sort of, I see it as encouraging 
and but I would I still struggle personally with sending those kind of tweets because mm-hmm. I have this um, underlying thing. It's like, oh Christ, how's that going to be interpreted? It's like, oh, you know, like, very, very British problem of bra- of not bragging because you you don't want to come across boastful or yeah. big headed. And and previously, I'd have thought the same. And mind and and to your point, the new mindset is. <clears throat> community over competition i'm not in competition with these people agencies are not in competition with each other your only competitors are there in the search results right that's your competitor it isn't what is that agency doing how do we do better than them they're in my mind everyone's my peers you're all my colleagues we all learn from one another and i see my colleagues doing well and i congratulate them i commend them on their hard work why so do that's I? A, that's a great outlook. Why and do I, I think... then not have that same outlook for what I'm doing? Yeah. Because I'm proud of what I'm doing now, and have never felt pride in my work before. And it was, and I... it was amplified by the fact that everyone came on and said, "You go, right?" Yeah. And I was humbled. I was humbled by that. That is such a lovely, warming, genuine community response. And I and there's such a bad name in the SEO, mainly SEO community. There's always a drama. There's always something going on. Same with digital PR. There's always something, but it doesn't have to be like that. Like, I'm not going to be like that. Why can't we all just get along, person? But if we genuinely just stop nitpicking at someone's dodgy methodology, or I've seen that campaign done before, like it's going to happen. Yeah. Move on to the next thing. Like almost a bit like be the bigger person. I just I go to write a tweet sometimes. And I'm like, what's is it worth it? Yeah. Is it worth then having the responses come back to me and having to continue this conversation? It's not worth it. So yeah. I I bin it off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. No, I I, I try I, to I'm... just put the positivity out there now because the negativity there's enough of it. There's so much of it. You mentioned it earlier about perception. Obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think people's perception of you is accurate? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, okay. to a point, probably, because I am very loud, colourful, abrupt and chatty and likeable, I guess, to a point. Some people. Um, but what people don't get is that that is such a facade because I'm a huge introvert, <laughs> right? And the minute I get home from any of these, like, conferences or days in the office i collapse i'm like a shell of a human and i spend days recharging my batteries because i have and and i'm learning that this is an adhd trait of masking where i'm trying to be a normal person so i come across chatty because that's what normal people do they have conversations they're friendly they go out fine inside i'm like don't say the wrong thing don't say this don't look make sure you blink make sure you like smile when they smile and nod look at them in the eye like it is it's a constant uh mind fuck if you if you'll excuse the medical term um <laughs> mind fuckery um it's hard work it's really hard work being me um okay. and that's medicate i'm medicated like to my eyeballs and it's still hard work being me so um it's really exhausting being this person that i I don't, I don't want to, I'm not where, pretending. Where's the, where's, the, 
where's the middle ground then? Because <clears throat> obviously you don't want people to treat you any different, or maybe you're no. not. I don't actually. I'm putting words in your mouth, but that doesn't sound sustainable to me. To no, it's not long term. And and to be honest, that's I did leave Brightness here early because I went down for the three days and I survived two. And on the third day, I I called quits because I I couldn't do another day of talking with people at people pretending to be interested in conversation um turns out i also had covid so that probably didn't help but um (laughs) no no yeah it's definitely not sustainable um and so working from home is great it means that i don't have to do those things and then if i do go to a conference i might limit limit it to two days going forward rather than three um or i just need to get better at it like i think having two years off of socializing really did a number on a lot of people yeah. Um, certainly for those of us that already had like underlying social anxiety, but I, I'm my best self around my, my, my friends, basically they get me, they know when I need to be quiet. They know that when I'm quiet, it's not awkward. It's just me like decompressing. They yeah. understand a loud outburst that comes out of nowhere and they do not judge me for it. Um, uh, and yeah, it just does take some time. And I think also I've sort of been conditioned over time, you know, as as we talked about with agency culture, that sort of being that person isn't necessarily the way it should be, especially in front of clients. You want to be demure and keep your mouth shut and don't say the wrong thing and just smile, smile. and nod, <laughs> smile and nod. Yeah. Um, and that's not me. I'm not I'm not that little submissive person. I'm I'm just not. There's kind of two takeaways I'm getting from this. One is I, I'm I'm relating to a lot of what you're saying, which makes me wonder whether I should look into this subject <laughs> oh, a little no. bit more. No, not uh, not a conversation goes by, not a day goes by where I don't put something out about ADHD and I have someone slide in my DMs like, oh my God, I think I might have ADHD. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not for one minute um, <laughs> saying I'm, I'm anywhere up that spit, but there's a lot of similarities between mm-hmm. what you're saying and the, and the way I am. And, and the second thing, which I think is so incredibly admirable, and I one of them. I'm so chuffed that you're how open you are about this because to point number one, there's probably I don't know thousands, hundreds, thousands. I don't know people who are have um, these things going on in their life. I don't want to say issues because issues has that kind of like yeah, not weird issues, connotation, just like but yeah, behaviours or or yeah, and probably haven't thought twice about it or mm. just think it's normal or it's you know personality or whatever mm, like mm. and that you know if one person comes away from listening to this podcast or watching on youtube or whatever and, and goes and gets tested and has that same impact that you've had on your life from finding something out i think is incredible and i yeah it's funny i, I wonder how many people would be so open and talk about it as much as as you have i don't i don't and again, it's me generalizing. I've got no idea, but I suspect it wouldn't be as many. Definitely not. I mean, it's getting a lot better. And I think the whole mental health conversation is getting better. Like five years ago, we didn't talk about mental health, especially in the workplace. But then we also didn't talk about menstruation. But we're talking about that more. We didn't talk about menopause. We're talking about that more. So it, you know, a slowly, slowly catchy monkey type thing. Like every year we decide our new medical Oswald. thing that we'll, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that a bit more this year. And definitely mental health has come a long way in the last few years in my old agency i was one of the first to like openly 
talk about it with my team because as I said, I'm in ten I'm ten years I had ten years on most of them. I very much want to lead by example. I've when as a manager I've always wanted to lead by example and, and show be be authentic, be honest and but they need to know this stuff, yes, don't they? Because yes, as yes. you said, your friends know you and they know yeah. that if you're quiet, you're quiet. If you're loud, you're loud. And, and yeah. the, there's a reason for whatever emotion you may have that day, hour, whatever. Yeah. But we, we your all te- came... your team are who are looking up to you. Yeah. They might go, oh, she's really quiet. God, what have I done wrong? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And it's... Yeah. So, yeah. It's... And there's so much nuance to having a, a neurodivergent brain or just generally having mental health uh, concerns or I don't want to say issues, but having having mental health challenges. Challenges, um, that, that's a, that's a challenges yeah. Word, I yeah. think it is, and it's such a, yeah, this, it's so nuanced. There's so much that could, you could discuss it for, for years, you know. There's, there's no, like, one size fits all. And so I think, someone needed to be open say here here is here is what is happening here is how i'm acting and this is why please don't take it personally please feel like you can ask me anything and it's that it's that please ask me anything that really gets the conversation going yeah um and i'm happy to i I have like i said i have at least a dm every day about my experience what what i think of i mean i'm not a medical expert guys i i I might sound it but i'm not um i can only give you my my experience and my examples and and offer some suggestions but i think one of the biggest things is if you suspect that you have adhd or that you may be neurodivergent you probably are because neurotypical people don't ever think this way they don't ever think why am i like this why why are they thinking are they did i hurt someone's feelings are they thinking about me you know did i piss someone off did i say the wrong thing like they just don't they don't think that way they think they don't think in fact they don't have this constant voice they just don't have it. it they just exist they do their thing they live their life and they don't have this constant worry or question or dialogue so if you do have that and you do think this sounds like me or this is interesting and I want to research more, please do it because it's slowly becoming more and more acceptable to be self-diagnosed with neurodivergence. No one's going to want to see a certificate from a doctor that says you have ADHD, although actually some some workplaces i think this was um i saw this recently on linkedin where virgin have off like they've they've launched a new um neurodiversity sort of initiative where you know they've they've got special options and uh, accessibility and things like that for the nd staff which is great however they require a formal diagnosis to be included and i think they've gone part of the way there but getting a diagnosis is expensive and time-consuming and terrifying if you are brought up by boomers who don't believe in mental health we think you should keep calm and carry on and just do yoga because yoga solves everything right so richard he's 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 doing some things really really right i love but i think his first name then oh rich (laughs) richard um 
but there's a ways to go and yeah and that's yeah, and that's it's funny, a tangent it's funny how again some of these businesses go like <laughs> dip half a toe in the water but don't yeah yeah like seem and to I'm be doing sh- the right I'm, thing i'm sure they're i'm sure they're doing it for the best their intention is good i'm sure it is yeah of course no i think that's nice of you to think that their intentions are good. That's really well, that's nice no, of you. My, my cynical mind's thinking it's <laughs> a publicity stunt. Well, I think we saw what was it International Women's Day, and we saw the gender pay bot uh, destroying every business that went out of their way to say, "Here's what we're doing for International Women's Day." And then the gender pay bot was like, mm, "But you're paying your staff, your female staff, seventy five percent less than your male staff." So sort that out no, first, type I, thing. I've had a, I've had a problem with International Women's Day for about. 10 years oh, that exact reason the amount of brands yeah it's showboating jump on it but it's the same with pride every year and then yeah, mental yeah, health yeah. week every year and being in marketing you have to be cynical because you know it's us that started all these nonsense awareness well, days at my previous company i banned us from talking about it i think that's pride. absolutely the right thing to do unless you can talk about that thing all year round with your whole heart and your whole chest yeah. Don't talk about it one day a year. Like, nah, nah, no, not okay. But yeah, to your point about uh, talking, like being open about it, I think, why is it taboo when it affects, I can't think of the stat. It's a lot. It's like, it's like one in four or something people have suffer with mental health challenges. More and more women are getting diagnosed with ADHD in the last two years than ever before. Wow. than ever before because we're all growing up now and hitting this wall hitting these challenges head on and wanting answers yeah why are we this we're 50 percent of the population why are we being taboo about it why are we not talking about our periods when we are 50 percent of the population um there's a thing i can't remember if it's on linkedin or twitter i can't remember where i saw it and there's this some woman had talked about periods and i can't remember i think she was talking about it in in, in oh, i can't remember i can't remember what the reason but that was the subject matter mm. and this guy jumped on and he looked at his profile he's like i don't know 50 something uh white guy and he's like so disgusting that you talk <laughs> about this stuff on a public forum <laughs> I was are just you like, kidding me i'm real like, it's just strange you think to yourself what do these people um like can you imagine living in that in that household there. Like a dinosaur. Like, living with a dinosaur. You can't have a daughter. You can't have a... You can't be married, surely. I don't know. It's just... Aww. It's not even a dinosaur. I just... like Such a small mind. Like It's just yeah. weird. His, you know his ideal woman is making sandwiches for him in the kitchen. Yeah. Like for sure. No doubt. <laughs> but I did I did see something on LinkedIn yesterday. It was a, a startup um, menstrual health company. And she'd just been for a meeting with investors. The comment from the investor was, periods. It's a bit niche, isn't it? Wow. Um, I saw that. What was the company called? Do you remember? I don't remember, unfortunately. I, I saw that, yeah. And, and uh, I was yeah, just I'm... like, niche. 50% of the population is going I mean, you to couldn't, be affected. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't get much of a broader uh, be... target market, could you? L- yeah, more specific in your, in your audience, actually. So, okay, that's... Interesting. <laughs> Who's your target market? Um, women. Anyone who gets a period. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. Um, At least fifty percent. Pretty, of pretty big market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know what um, brought us to this point. So sorry no, about that. No. <laughs> I. I mean, my ne- my next question is, kind of tell me something you're passionate about. 
Oh, and God. I, I, I think we've like gone through all of that already. I feel like we've talked a lot about your passion. <laughs> is, is there yeah. anything else that's on your passion radar? Well, my, my natural response is that jobs are scams, which I think we've gone over, and then how uh, mental health should not be a taboo subject, which we've also gone over. So I think my third specialty subject is rescue dogs. We could talk about okay. rescue dogs. Sure. Um, so puppy farms are awful. And even if your breeder is like a reputable one. D- oh no. This was not prepared earlier. So, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a dog owner. I'm not a pet uh-huh. owner at all. Um, never have been. It's not really my cup of tea. But what oh. I do know about, I'm not against them. I just. Sure. Um, Are you a cat person? Too... Is that why? No. Oh God, no. Okay, that's fine. That's cool. We're no, on the same I got, page. Then. I got I got two young daughters, person, and. Oh, you're a they, oh, you're a human they, with kids, person. They take up too much time as it is. Sure. Trying to dog into mix. Oh my days! I don't have time for that. <laughs> but what I do know about pets, and I know this because, funny enough, I went on a work trip to a, an animal sanctuary as a as a, a corporate per- event. Culture. Yeah, and what I learned there was the ratio of dogs and cats, and I'm butchering this, so you'll yeah. you'll probably. I've know got no better. stats to hand, so you're fine. The ra- the ratio of this, something like cats and dogs abandoned or given away every day, is like three x the amount bought every day or something. From from breeders from um, I I don't even know what you call them puppy farms. I think you said yeah. And they, and they were saying if there were no puppy farms, essentially, and again, I, I apologize <laughs> to everyone listening to this, screaming at the speakers going, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but it was basically like, there's more than enough dogs to go around yeah, that are, are, are homeless, I guess, lack, for lack like of Like more than, like the lockdown saw three times the amount of dogs join the UK. I think it was like a three, it was three million new dogs joined joined the uk what does that mean <laughs> got passports <laughs> joined, yeah they they joined the uk uh three million dogs were pet there were th- three million more dog owners is what i should should say the dogs were probably already there but the the three million more dog owners um it, it just in that two-year period which is a lot of that's, dogs that's incredible a lot of dogs that's like, um five percent of the population and that's not to say that some of them didn't already have dogs or whatever but i've always had i've always had mongrels or we'd call them mongrels in australia just like you know dogs that bred very australian it is such a it's so bogan (laughs) Uh, takes me back to to neighbors back (laughs) he's a mongrel um so they were just mixed mixed breed you know like your dog down the road to get knocked up and then it'd have a litter and then that's it. Then you get a dog for free from your neighbour. Um, so I've always just had mixed breed dogs. So the thought of having like a pedigree dogs never crossed my mind. I've always had it from the council or a pound or whatever. And then I have family members who are kennel club breeders. So I understand the importance of breeders on survival of breeds and the continuation of breeds, healthy breeds and yep. lineage and things like that. But then there are puppy farms that give breeders a, such a bad name because you go onto places like Gumtree or Pets for Homes and it's just like, my dog had puppies. Like, I need to give these puppies away or in the worst cases, it's just people breeding, 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 breeding because they can fetch... A lot of money, isn't it? Literally, there's a 
a, a guy um, up the road, <laughs> guy up the road, has a pit bull cross something. She's be- a beautiful dog, but she's crossed with two breeds. Her dad cost £20,000 as a puppy. And he, he says to me, if I bred her with X dog, I could earn X money. And I think, wrong. <laughs> One, wrong. That's not how... Puppy, puppy is not an investment in your future. Is that, is, just sorry to ask. Is, so is he worth so much money because it's like... He'd become like... I don't know what the term is in dog world, but like in horses, you have stud farms. He's a, right, he'd be like one... a stud, yeah. So he yeah. would be... Because there are a number of dogs that are like breeds that are banned in the UK and then a number that are really like not... Like you have Labradors are everywhere, but then you have these like... They're not machines. They're, they're like a gorilla. They're, they're not a pretty dog. You have this dog for security or to look terrifying. You don't have this yeah. dog as a pet, as your fur baby. You don't have this dog you have a dog to look a certain way it's a status symbol sometimes or a fashion and if you've got accessory, 20 isn't it? Gra- anyway so that i in my opinion and uh i'm probably this is where I, this is the controversial part we're talking about dogs this is the controversial part of the whole conversation okay um i can't even remember what i was gonna say i can't remember what my point was Oh, puppies, dogs are not an investment, right? You don't buy a dog to then think, I'll make 20 grand from this dog. That's the wrong reason to, to get a dog. Do people think that? This this bloke thinks it. Oh, okay. Did the, he buy the, it as an investment or is that just a, a He bought it so he could have puppies so he could sell them. I mean, he uh... also loves... The dog, the dog is beautiful, the dog is friendly, and the, the dog is a dog. So the, he's not not the people I'm talking about necessarily because... Once the dog has had one season, they're going to get a spade. I still think that's wrong. I there, As you said, there are so many dogs that already exist. Why do we need more? Let's get one that's already out there. But then on that point, when I tried to rescue in the UK from... I don't know if I should... I'm not going to name the charities because the charities do the work that the charities do, right? Okay. But I tried to rescue from three UK animal welfare charities. None of them would give me a dog because I live on a main road, because I live in a flat, and because I don't have a garden. Those three reasons are not enough of a reason for me to not be a dog owner. When you think about dogs that are living on a street or dogs that are living in a kennel, surely wanting a dog loving a dog and being able to afford and care for and look after a dog are the three most important reasons to get a dog. But to play devil's advocate here though, those three things are quite easily um, bullshitted sometimes in some occasion. I'm not obviously not suggesting for a minute that's, I don't know, is it is it a tough, do you have any kind of, is it a tough situation for those charities because- what? Why? They're, they're putting money into TV ads saying that they need people to rescue dogs. I volunteered okay. to rescue a dog and I wasn't suitable, despite the fact that I have a steady income. I'm five minutes from one of the biggest parks in southeast London. I have a, a very warm flat. I have the space, yeah. the love. I'm, I insured him. I'm insured. Like, I'm a, I'm a 
I'm a catch as far as a dog owner did you, goes. <laughs> did, did you actually speak to someone or is it a... Is it, a... it was all automated. I had to fill yeah. in a form. I didn't meet the criteria. End of story. So I then looked at how, like, if there was any puppies nearby to buy or not buy, but like, I it foolishly, naively thought, oh, there'll be dogs people want to get rid of. No, they want money for them. Uh, and we all know that dog prices in the UK soared during lockdown. It was something like up 50% on normal prices of dogs. Some dogs were going yeah. for like three and a half grand, which, sorry, no. And they're all like the cute breeds, you know, the cute. Yeah. Everyone wants a cute, cuddly little cute dog. Cute looks good on Instagram kind of thing, which is fine if that's the dog that you genuinely want in your life. So I looked elsewhere and I I looked abroad at some international charities that rescue dogs from places like Romania and Cyprus, uh, the Chinese meat market. I mean, these charities are doing the Lord's work in rescuing animals who are yeah. in some of the poorest states and, and just want to be loved. Um, and they took one look at me on paper and went, you're perfect. You're ideal. You, you have a home. You have love. You have money. You're ideal. You're the ideal person to have a dog. So when and your within dog three from? weeks, my dog was here from Cyprus. That is incredible that you have to go to Cyprus to get a dog that when, I mean, you're right. I remember when lockdown was happening, there was like news articles galore about people who'd got a dog during lockdown who couldn't then look after it and, and were giving it away. Yeah. And it, the numbers were horrendous, right? Yeah. It was staggering. And, and so like disappointing to see. Um, and actually now that I have, have this dog so he's been with me um 18 months now i think we like i say i'm near some of the best parks in southeast london and the the parks are filled with dogs and the majority of them are rescue dogs and they're from overseas and that tells you so much because it used to be you go to battersea you go to rspca you get a dog i feel like this story i feel like this is i mean mean, i'm I'm flabbergasted you selling this because it just doesn't make sense to me like on one hand, as a you know non-dog person, I'm hearing these stories about all these problems with abandoned dogs. And then on the other hand, <laughs> you're not there. Not good enough, not. unless you're in a middle-class suburban up. home. Yeah, with a garden, they don't want they don't want you. Like honestly, do not want you unless you but, tick all of these ridiculous middle-class boxes. It sounds to me, and, and again, I don't know how to phrase this PC, but they, they hmm. can't really afford to be that choosy. That's what I. That <laughs> Chris, come on. That is was my response to them, like on social media, basically. Like, do you? I I retweeted one of their stats from an advert. I, I was just like, I, you say there's did anyone, many dogs. Did anyone? Did anyone communicate? No, with you? no, 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 no. Shame, no. isn't it? Yeah, it is a shame. Um, but yeah, here here I was, like, hello, hello, Cyprus. I would like a dog, please. And they were like, which which one? When can you take him? When are you available? Wow. And he he had the journey of a lifetime. He flew from Cyprus to Greece, from Greece to Cologne, Cologne to Paris, and then he was on the Eurotunnel in a van across to Ashford. And then I picked him up on the M25 at Cobham Services <laughs> on a random Monday night from the back of a van. Such shady dealings. But he it came does. with a passport and he had his injections. He's got a pet passport. He's got a European passport. He's he's Cypriot. He's European. He's got a pet passport. Wow. 
he can go and travel more broadly than I can. Thanks to Brexit. He could be your plus one back in... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I could... Oh, no, that's weird. I was going to say something really weird about getting a green card, but that's weird with a dog. Um, And, like, I would... I have... It's another thing I've been on my soapbox about, rescuing dogs. Like, don't get me wrong, I have friends who have pedigrees, and that's fine. Good for you. Just have a dog. Dog people are good people, generally. But I have had many people sort of slide in my DMs um, on Instagram and be like, thank you for sharing this. I have now got a dog because of this charity or I'm now researching other, you know, other charities where I can rescue a dog because I've had the same problem. I don't have a garden. I don't have this. I don't have that. I had no idea there were so many dogs available elsewhere. So that must make you feel pretty good. So good. The two things that make me feel excellent about myself are people saying, thank you for sharing your ADHD story. And thank you for telling me I can get a dog from Cyclist. No, that's amazing. Yeah, it really is. It is. Um, very amazing the final question and then Ooh. i can let, let you get on your way <laughs> when you think about the future what do you see i don't really think about the future the same way i don't really think about the past mainly because i can't really um function too far in advance um, is that is, is that an adhd thing i'm not sure it might be an existential thing <laughs> it might okay. be an anxious existential <laughs> crisis like what is a world i mean what is the world going to look like in five years who knows but if if you were to say to me, what is like, what is, what, what would, I don't even know how to phrase the question. I think I would love to live in a little, like two bedroom house near the coast somewhere with a garden. Yeah. So I can then rescue another dog. I'd like to have two dogs. One, I'd like an older sister for my little, my little boy. I'd like a little two bedroom house so I don't have to work in the same space as my living room. I'd like. To have a coffee shop that knows my order and that knows my name. When I walk in, they're like, morning, Erica. Here's your, it's cold brew with oat milk, uh, generally, okay. or in the hot, in the cold months, uh, just an oat milk latte. Like a milkman who knows my name, you know, like just being yeah. like a part of a little community. Yeah. And then maybe in retirement, like having a little secondhand bookshop that is dog friendly where you can come in and read the books, but you don't have to buy the books. If you don't want to buy the book, you read it and put it back on the shelf. I guess people call that a library. No, you can no. buy them. It's an old and then bookshop. maybe there's a coffee machine. Maybe you can sit and have a coffee. Maybe you could work from there. I think that's nice. I think that's quaint, like a nice little quaint dream. I, I think that'd I think be it nice. Sounds lovely. No, none <laughs> of that has anything to do with digital PR. So <laughs> there we go. No, I, think I, think... There's a, I think there's a lifespan on this kind of work because it is very full on and always on and yeah it yeah so I think my dream my end goal would be something calm and slow and nice and chill sounds pretty good to me yeah Erica I want to thank you <laughs> from the bottom of my heart I mean two hours we've been talking now <laughs> and it doesn't feel like two hours no it doesn't it in, doesn't in, in, in a hugely positive way and i said to you at the beginning that you know your fan club were kind of um they were they were pushing for it weren't they pushing for it and i'm <laughs> so glad because i know you were a bit nervous and you you weren't necessarily sure about it and, and whatever but i'm so glad you came on because oh, i think that you. i think this covers all range of topics from 
sorry, wrong phrase. I think it covers all sorts of subjects that will be informative as well as in, insightful. And yeah, I, I, I can't This was think. really cool. Like, I, yeah, as you say, I was really nervous, mainly because I don't ever think I have anything coherent or interesting to say. But I guess two hours of talking has um, evidenced otherwise. I have no doubt that whilst I don't, anticipate huge numbers for my podcast in the beginning but i have no doubt that when people do listen to this you're going to get people sliding into your dms about uh, about adhd and about future podcast appearances i think okay well we'll 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 see we'll we'll take a tally shall we yes maybe you should take a fee you could be my um, talent manager <laughs> there's no fees no one's getting paid to do any of this just fyi well, um, no but thank you it's been um it's been really fun. I've loved talking to you. The fact that I said I don't like chit chat and we've just talked shit for <laughs> two hours. Um, I've had two coffees and my medication today, though, so we're good. We're doing good. Um, no, it's, you've made it really. As someone tweeted to say that you're very, um, very chill, very calm, and it was, was very, very nice. I think that was so it was ben, lovely wasn't to speak it? to you. Ben, yeah, that's Ben who I spoke to the other day. Ben, yeah. he's your hype man. Yes, we all we all need hype people in our lives. We and I do, think we do. You have you have quite a few, which is is got some fantastic women out there backing me, which is testament like, to yourself, right? People yeah. don't become hype people for people who don't deserve hype. I don't believe, but but listen, thank you so much. I have taken up far too much of time, <laughs> and I, I will let you crack on with your day. Thank you so much. Well, well, well. That was ten Q interview with Erica Vonderwall. If you made it to the end, thank you. Really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to share any thoughts on any of the social channels at 10 Interview everywhere. That's all for now. Make sure you've subscribed wherever you are listening. Uh, and the next 10Q Interview episode will be live very, very soon.